1: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18
1: plus. Support for this episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere is made possible by the Wessex Press, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at WessexPress.com and the Baker Street Journal, the leading publication of Sherlockian scholarship since 1946. Subscriptions available at BakerStreetJournal.com.
2: I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, episode 102, Summer at Baker Street.
1: I
3: hear of Sherlock
2: Everywhere since you became a astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective.
4: I've heard of you before.
5: Or Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard jack-in-office. <laughs>
2: the game's afoot as we discuss goings-on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the bigger street regulars, and popular culture related to the great detective.
4: As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported...
2: So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Burke Wolder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes.
1: You couldn't have come in a better time!
2: Ah, welcome once again, or for the first time, depending on how you got here, to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. And I'm Bert Wolder. And together, we wipe the sweat off of our brows, our collective brows, <laughs> and and bid you a fond hello, summer, hello, and goodbye, summer. summer. It's speeding past us so quickly.
1: Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for it to go yet.
2: Oh, I know. But summer's a great season. You know, it's 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 that one season that everyone looks forward to. It, you know, kind of burned in our childhood from three months off of school and running around footloose and fancy-free, barefoot through the neighborhood, staying out late until the dinner bell is rung, (laughs) mosquitoes biting you without fear of Zika virus. The good old days, in other words. The good old days. Where where you could only get malaria, not Zika. (laughs) It was a kid. Good
1: Lord. Good Lord, indeed. I wonder what Holmes did when he was a child in those... uh summer days in uh, the family seat in... Um, mm-hmm. What what is does what is current scholarship consider to be the Holmes family, family seat? He was from the north, wasn't he? Uh,
2: yeah, to from, um, from 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 uh, Yorkshire, from, from I think, riding Yorkshire.
1: Right, All right, the north ridings of Yorkshire. So I wonder what it... You know, I can't imagine that his mother, around whom there's been a lot of speculation, uh, ever said to him, Sherlock, before you go outside... Put on some sunscreen,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget your cigarette case. This <laughs> That's
1: right. That's right. You're only thirteen years old, so take the small cigarette case. <laughs> I say, Meta, they have not invented sunscreen yet. What's an SPF?
2: Well, we have the uh, you know the the, the famous and uh, first biography of Sherlock Holmes by William S. Baring Gould called mm-hmm. "Sherlock Holmes of Baker Street." Here, here. Uh from nineteen sixty two. He he does touch a little bit on uh Sherlock's childhood. Uh oh since, really, I've got to go uh,
1: pull that off the shelf.
2: I said Sherlock was a day boy at the board school. He did not flourish there but gained a deep respect for it. Um see in the winter of eighteen sixty five to sixty six, Sherlock was ill, spending months in the attic bedroom, which was his dormitory. When he was a convalescent, his father, by odd chance, gave him to read The Martyrdom of Man by Widenwood Reed. It's a sad work, and its conclusions may well have depressed young Sherlock. (laughs) In any case, he never forgot the book. Recommended it to Watson in 1888. uh, And then uh, seemingly recovered from his illness, which was very severe, Sherlock was taken by his parents to the farmstead of Mycroft in Yorkshire. There for a year, he was a day boy at the grammar school in a neighboring town, an ancient and quiet place. Those were comparatively happy days. Hmm. Well, you know, when we when we all think back to summers of our childhood, they were comparative uh, happy days. Hmm. You, know, you, you don't seem to remember the, <laughs> at least what my kids are going through now, the extreme boredom of having, quote-unquote, nothing to do. Oh. When the friends aren't around and they're at their wits' end trying to come up with something to do. Or... The anxiety ridden emotions that come to the surface as the weeks dwindle down and the school year gets closer and closer hmm. you don 't seem to remember that me you, you, you tend to remember you know chasing after the ice cream truck and uh, running through the sprinkler and other things of childhood, so
1: oh no, I remember that. I remember that great joy in June of thinking this vast period, my goodness, two and a half months lay before me to do all sorts of fun things. And then I remember the sad dread of, uh, sort of the middle of August realizing, uh-oh. Yeah. But, you know, I wonder if in Yorkshire, it's not clear if young Sherlock for summer either went west to, um, Barrow-Inferness or Olverston and, uh, paddled around the, uh, the water or went east to Hull and near Hull, of course, is a hmm. town called Grimsby. Not Grimesby, but Grimsby.
2: It could be. Could be. Well, I, you know, I don't know about you, and, and uh, this, is, this is a little foreshadowing to our topic here, but for me, one of the grand memories of summer was going to the library with my mom and coming home with just a stack of books and, you know, in between being outside in the pool or going to the beach or whatever, uh, just devouring books one after another throughout the summer and just looking forward to that weekly trip to the library where the pile would be returned and replenished uh, week on week.
1: Hmm. Well, that was a, going to the library was a big part of my life, but not particular. I mean, in the summer, sure, but my memories of the summer are most mostly things like going to the going to the beach, going to the shore, going to Cape Cod, going to yeah, paddling around, sand.
2: Well, we do want to get into summer as it relates to Sherlock Holmes, but I think first oh. we need to pause for this important message from our sponsor.
1: Everyone knows that Egbert, king of the ancient Anglo-Saxon kingdom of Wessex, conquered Surrey, Sussex, Kent, Essex, and Mercia in the 8th century. A tradition of strong leadership that continues today at the Wessex Press with Steve Doyle and Mark Gagan. Their full catalog of almost 50 items awaits you at Wessexpress.com. It's a blended, splendid catalog that includes pastiches, essays, annotations, plays, recordings, anthologies, and more. All curated by Sherlockians, for Sherlockians. These should be days for sleeping late, sand beneath our feet, and reeds gold and pink in the summer light. For your secret holiday. Reach for the pleasure only a volume from the Wessex Press can provide. Choose yours today.
2: Well, as you know, earlier this summer, the Norwegian Explorers held their triennial conference called The Misadventures of Sherlock Holmes, hosted at the University of Minnesota, where the Sherlock Holmes collections lie. And of course, if you haven't listened to episode 67 yet with Tim Johnson, who is the curator of the uh, special collections out there, go and give a listen to that right now, ihoes.co slash ihoes67. But in the meantime, we weren't able to physically be at the conference this year, much to our great chagrin. However, we do have a group of roving correspondents that from time to time pop up and bring along their little recording devices. And in this case, one Steve Mason, longtime listener, cross-country listener, volunteered his services to be the man on the street.
0: We are in Minneapolis, Minnesota, attending the Misadventures of Sherlock Holmes. This is the latest conference co-hosted by the University of Minnesota and the Norwegian Explorer Society. Every three years, they put on a fascinating conference, and this one was no exception. Approximately 140 attendees have been exposed to a diverse set of presentations, which have been both entertaining and informative. Topics that have included things such as the historical perspective on who really does own Sherlock Holmes, the cinematic presence of Sherlock Holmes, of course, good and bad, pollution in Victorian London, the pitfalls of chronologies in trying to develop a timeline, and a host of other subjects. Bill Mason kicked off the event with an excellent and irreverent view on pastiches and parodies. I was able to pull a couple of the people aside to get their thoughts on the conference itself. Okay, we are speaking with Tim Johnson now, who is the curator of the Sherlock Holmes Collection here at the University of Minnesota. Tim, if you can give us just a brief interview of, of what goes on with the collection and how you all fit into this conference. Uh, the collection, uh, we, we fit in by
5: providing an exhibit uh, in line with the theme. So whatever the theme is for each of the conferences, we have designed exhibits over the years that fit into the, those themes. It it's given us a great opportunity to showcase the collection um, bring out things that people don't often see um, one of the thrills uh, for me this year with this uh, conference and the exhibit is uh, one of the comments i've heard uh, maybe most often is i've i'm seeing things i've never seen before and i love it when we can do that for people um, to to showcase uh, some really amazing items from the collections well you know, it's really a collection of collections. So the the very first piece that came in was a small book collection that was purchased from James Araldi, who was a Baker Street irregular. Um, The idea was to have the library acquire a small collection of first editions. And uh, I think there was a little bit of a conspiracy between E.W. McDermott, uh, who was a former university librarian and at that time uh, was volunteering uh, in the special collections and rare books department. And I think he might have whispered in Austin McLean's ear, who was the curator, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a, a nice group of first collections, first editions in the collection? And so uh, Eraldi's collection was available, Uh, the university purchased it, that was 1974 I believe. Um, which is an interesting year, too, because that's you know, right in the ballpark. Nicholas Meyer's book has come out and the movie. Um, and so there's, a, I think, a rising interest at that point, too, with, with Sherlock Holmes. And then four years later, the heavens kind of opened up when the, the Hench collection was given to the university uh, by Mary Kayler Hench, uh, the widow of uh, Dr. Philip Hench. Together they had built this phenomenal collection that included the Four Beatons Christmas Annual, Uh, original manuscript pages from The Hound of the Baskervilles, some original artwork from Frederick Dorr Steele. So it was a a really amazing collection. That came in 1978, and I think from that moment on, the Sherlockian world started to wonder what's going on in Minneapolis. Uh, And uh, we've
0: just continued to build on it since then. And obviously it grew even larger with the addition of the John Bennett Shaw collection. Yeah, it took a huge bump when uh,
5: John actually came here uh, to look at the hench material, was very impressed by what he saw and how it was being cared for and how it was being used. and uh, You know, Thankfully, he was open to uh, the possibility. He had no connections with the university. He was a Notre Dame (laughs) alum, um, but the university started talking to him. He was invited to give some talks about Sherlock Holmes uh, and at the same time uh, talks about uh, what was going to happen with his collection, and he decided it should come here. And then he turned right around and became an ambassador for the collection and started talking to his friends, too, you know, saying, in effect, my collection's coming to Minnesota, and I think yours should, too. And so John and his collection and his person are huge parts of our history in, in the, the collections here at Minnesota.
0: Approximately how many items do you think you have currently in the, the entire collection? You know, I was thinking about that walking over
5: to the hotel this morning, actually, uh, because it's a question we're asked often. And we say 60,000 um as a number that we kind of put out there for PR purposes, I think that's a very conservative number. It also depends on how you count items, because if you started counting up all the pieces of paper we have in there, John Bennett Shaw's collection alone, uh, easily 60000 Um So... Uh but that's the number we use. Uh, we could probably
0: pick a higher number, and we'd still be in the ballpark. And if somebody wants to do research on any item in the collection, how do they do that research? Great question.
5: Um, generally speaking, uh, people will often call me or email me ahead of time. Um, I will direct them to both the online catalog where they can search and they can limit their their search for books and periodicals just to the Sherlock Holmes collection, or they can search through our archival database for the finding aids for the Holmes collection. Once they get on site, and, and if they've emailed me ahead of time with their list of material, we'll be ready for them, but they'll get a brief orientation about how the library works and how we handle these special and rare materials. After they've signed in and gotten that orientation, uh, they'll go into the reading room, they'll sign in there and be given a table, and then they're welcome to camp out there for as long as they want, and we'll continue to bring materials up from the cavern uh, to them, uh, whatever they're interested in seeing.
0: We are now interviewing Monica Schmidt, who runs the Younger Stanford's of Iowa City, and she gave a wonderful presentation that we want to uh, ask her some questions about. So Monica, the first thing I'm gonna ask you is, what was the subject of your talk?
6: I did a DSM-5, which would be the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual of Mental Disorders. Um, I did a DSM-5 diagnostic analysis of Sherlock Holmes's cocaine usage in the canon.
0: And what gave you this idea to do this type of a talk? Uh,
6: late night at in, uh during BSI weekend 2014, Jim Cox and I were talking about uh, about addiction uh, because I'm a drug and alcohol counselor and he uh, mentioned that, well, Maybe I should do a paper uh, delineating whether or not Holmes actually was an addict by current diagnostic standards because I spent a lot of time lamenting the idea that there are a lot of people who have opinions but not necessarily educated opinions upon the subject.
0: And what conclusions did you reach after doing all your research?
6: You might have to read the BSJ um, for that, uh, just because Steve Rothman did accept the paper. But a preview of coming attractions, um, I was... Uh, I made a pretty good argument that uh, Sherlock Holmes does meet the diagnostic standards for cocaine use disorder severe. Um, And even though as a clinician I don't use the term addict, um, it's more of a colloquial term than it is a clinical term. Uh, That's more or less the equivalent of someone who is an addict.
0: Without giving away any spoiler alerts, was there anything that you discovered in all your research that kind of startled you or surprised that you weren't expecting?
6: I think when I originally took on this subject, I thought I would, I, I had a better recollection, or at least I thought I had a better recollection of the amount of passages um, that mention cocaine or drug use within the canon. It's What I discovered is that it's actually far more limited, but considering the amount of pop culture focus on it in television shows and cinema, uh, one would think that the subject of drug use would be a little more pervasive within the canon. It's really not highly limited and and
0: i noticed that when you were giving the talk too, that i thought it it had been mentioned many more times too and we now have julie mccurris who is the leading force behind the entire conference about how long do y'all spend working on the conference itself
3: we actually started immediately after the last one started talking about the speakers started talking about a theme which of course is your your driving motivator there And the really intensive work has been the past year, because that's when you start having to get the details. And as we all know, the devil is in the details. We had a committee of about 10 people, some of them with more responsibilities as others, as any committee functions.
0: Are you starting plans for the next conference?
3: You know, I'm going to use this in my closing remarks, but last night I got an email from Gary Thaden telling me, you know, I thought about what might be a good theme for the next one in 2019 and I'm thinking of having him committed just you know just even starting to think about it yet but yeah we'll start we'll start I'm so glad it has turned out so well and when you look at something that uh, you know I feel justified in calling it a success because everybody looks happy but you realize in order for anything to be successful, yes, you can have a committee, you can organize it, but without good speakers such as yourself, Mr. Mason, and without a good audience, it, it just will not be successful. And we have been very, very fortunate to have that combination meet so well. So we'll hope for the next uh, next one in 2019 to be, be just as much fun as this one was.
2: Ah, we well, hear the waves crashing on the shore. That's summer.
1: Oh, is that what that? Oh, is?
2: Really, the the waves crash on the shore year round, but you know. I thought we're not at the I, shore to hear it year round.
1: I, I thought it was more bad news about the ice caps.
2: <laughs> what? <Well, laughs> I don't know what you mean, Burger. <laughs> uh, well, summertime in the canon, You know, you don't really think of summertime when it comes to the Sherlock Holmes stories. And yet, as it would happen, 25%, a little over 25% of the stories took place in the summer, which, when there's four seasons, that seems to be a pretty good ratio, right? And I think we mentioned this in our show about the spring, that you don't typically think of the warmer weather with regard to the county. You tend to think of fog in London and, you know, a uh, uh the autumn season in particular. Um, but 16 out of the 60 stories were set sometime in the summer months, June, July, and August. And in some cases, uh, they were just quoted as being in quote unquote, the summer uh, without the chronologist even being able to identify specifically what the month or day was. But for me personally, I have a great connection of Sherlock Holmes and the summer because, frankly, that's where I or when I discovered Sherlock Holmes for the first time, at least in book form. Oh, really? took one of uh, uh, the the aforementioned trips to the library, took out this fairly thick book, and, and I don't remember the exact title, but it was a collection of Sherlock Holmes stories that began with A Study in Scarlet. And I remember taking that book with me to Newport, Rhode Island and just immersing myself in it and really, uh, just losing myself in the book for the first half. And then suddenly having this rude awakening of being in the desert in Utah.
1: <laughs>
2: did, 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 did someone switch out the books here? I'm not, I'm not quite seeing the connection here and sticking with it. And by the end of the novel, just being completely enamored with the character, which then led me to go back to school in the fall, write a research paper, and meet people like uh, Tyke and Teddy Niver, and the rest is history. So for me, Summer and Sherlock Holmes is inextricably linked as far as, um, you know, my origin story.
1: Well, let's turn it. Now, how old were you when this was happening, roughly?
2: She's. I must have been about 14, I think. So fairly late to come to the Sherlock Holmes stories, but... Uh, impactful nonetheless, how about you? Do you have summertime memories of sherlock Holmes
1: you know i'm unfortunately i don 't think so um, with well what? with the exception of um being at Gillette Castle, you know for a while, the Cornish uh-huh. in Rhode Island would have uh, two meetings a year, and for a while we were having joint meetings with the men on the tour mm-hmm. and we were lucky enough. To get to in, get into Gillette Castle in Connecticut, in Hadley, Connecticut, when Don Grant of Blessed Memory was the um, managing director or the the director of Gillette Castle. When Gillette passed away, he left his estate uh, on top of the seventh sister mountain to uh, well. To his heirs and that that didn't work out very well and it eventually became a state park but in those days we were actually able to hold meetings inside the castle sitting at his dining table and uh, actually having cocktails and things like that and so I remember a couple of those wonderful meetings at Gillette Castle and then for another wonderful uh, I think that was a joint meeting with the men on the tour we also took the Essex steam train Chris Steinbrunner um, in those days brought old films oh, and a 16 millimeter sound projector. So we rented the entire Essex steam train and had a meeting on the train, which featured, uh, Chris screening Terror by Night, which is the Rathbone Bruce picture. That's great. On a train. And that was just a wonderful. So I remember things like that. Science society meetings, um, in the summer months, which were wonderful.
2: Well, and of course, William Gillette's birthday was, or it is still celebrated, July 24th of every year, which uh, was one of the excuses that the men on the tour would have for getting together at the castle. Oh, right. And, um, you know, your, your mention of, of Gillette leaving the castle to his heirs and eventually <laughs> becoming a state park. I love the, uh, yes. the paragraph from his will where he stated, I would consider it More than unfortunate for me should I find myself doomed after death to a continued consciousness of the behavior of mankind on this planet to discover that the stone walls and towers and fireplaces of my home founded at every point on the solid rock of Connecticut, that my railway line with its bridges, trestles, tunnels through solid rock and stone culverts and underpasses all built in every particular for permanence so far as there is such a thing, that my locomotives and cars constructed in the safest and most efficient mechanical principles, that these and many other things of a like nature should reveal themselves to me as in the possession of some blithering saphead who had no conception of where he is or with what surrounded. <laughs> and in 1943, the Connecticut state government bought the property. <laughs> and as we know, there are no blithering sapheads in government. No. Uh, well, you know, when you think about the stories, just off the top of your head, if I if I said think about the Sherlock Holmes stories that occurred in the summer, what are some of the ones that 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 you could pull from memory?
1: Oh boy! Well, from memory, uh, without doing any research, um, none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, come on. But uh, you there's know,
2: a couple to me that come to mind. Really,
1: well, you know, the Engineer's Thumb is is I suppose the only one that really.
2: Um, really why is that because that doesn't come to mind for me I, I want to hear from you why
1: well I'm not the best one to ask because on the back of my Sherlockian card mm-hmm. I have listed the um Baron Gould chronology of all the stories in terms of yes. when when they started so it's a brilliant
2: card by the way well a um, reference guide
1: yeah thank you but uh well and thanks to Bill Baron Gould but I um you know tend to look at that list for those. Um, digits, but I remember, you know, the the pageant illustrations, and so, you know, these are people who are, you know, walking around without coats, and uh, I don't remember any stories in which the heat of the summer looms large. I do. Which one?
2: I remember two in particular. One is the opening of the cardboard box, not not the opening of the box itself, but the opening <laughs> of the story. <laughs> And 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 there's a couple of things that strike me from that one. I remember uh, Watson uh, mentioning that Baker Street was like an oven that day, and the heat reflecting off of the brick from the houses opposite. Um, And just just thinking in my mind how uncomfortable life in the summertime would have been in those days without you know the the convenience of air conditioning that we know today. When they wore those those heavy clothes. Mm. the wool. Although I will say, um, one of the Granada productions, and I think it was the Naval Treaty featured Jeremy Brett in a wonderful cream linen suit, Tom Wolf-like in nature. Mm. And I thought, well, that's, that's remarkable. You know, we, we rarely, if ever see Holmes in uh, that kind of garb and Of course, to survive the summer months, they must have dressed a little more in in, in more breathable material and and more lightweight material, Uh, some cotton or some linen or what have you. And I I just thought it was a wonderful um, and just a minor detail in that production that reminded you that, yes, this story was taking place in the summer. Mm. Um, The cardboard box was one uh, that stands out to me. Uh, as as one of those summertime stories. And, and Watson laying on the sofa and trying to, to beat the heat, basically.
1: Um, oh, I'd forgotten that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That's a good one.
2: The other was um, Black Peter, which was one of the stories that was squarely identified in 1895. This mm-hmm. is from the return of Sherlock Holmes, uh, and it was July of 1895. And the thing I remember about that uh, was... And and it, it, part of this memory is burned into my brain from the audio production from the BBC radio series because of the sound effects. Mm. But the description I still remember of, um, uh, I think it was, uh, was it Bradstreet? Who was the inspector in that one? Um, Stanley Hopkins. It was Stanley Hopkins in, uh, in Black Peter. Mm where he described the scene of what happened at the shack. And he said, I I have fairly steady nerves as you know, Mr. Holmes, but I give you my word that I got a shake when I put my head into that little house. It was droning like a harmonium with the (laughs) flies and blue bottles and the floor and walls were like a slaughterhouse. And, and, of course, then he, he goes on to say, um, there in the middle of it was the man himself, his face twisted like a lost soul in torment. His great brindled beard stuck upwards in agony. Right through his broad breast, a steel harpoon had been driven and it had sunk deep into the wood of the wall behind him. He was pinned like a beetle on a card. And I just think, can you imagine the you know, in the, the midst of July, all those <laughs> flies buzzing around and the, the, the gore. And and the heat that must have been it just sticks in my mind as one of the most horrific scenes in the canon. So those those two in particular are the summertime stories that stuck out to me just off of uh, off a of memory.
1: Yeah, the only one um, you know, not having gone back and looked at them lately, the only other one that sticks to my mind is Lion's Mane because I remember Holmes is walking oh. on the beach. Of course, of course. When what's his name comes. Uh, Running up to him. Wasn't it uh, McPherson?
2: McPherson, it yeah, about like stackers. Science teacher, yeah. Sounds like an opportunity for Sherlock Holmes brand swim trunks. <laughs> <laughs> not a speedo. Let's uh, let's hope it's not a speedo.
1: Oh, I like that. Sherlock Holmes brand swimming costume.
2: But, you know, back to your, your reference of uh, the engineer's thumb, one of the things that... <laughs> I think this was a, a hounds of the internet discussion we had years ago because, uh, Hatherley showed up at, uh, at Watson's place
1: mm.
2: missing a thumb. Oh, And he described, I got to go, ow. He <laughs> described how he was hanging by the ledge and how, uh, Colonel Lysander Stark, uh, you know, hacked at it with a cleaver mm. and how the thumb was basically left on the windowsill mm-hmm. there. And then, of course, after the uh, the machinery malfunctioned and the house burned down, someone in this online discussion that we had, they said, can you imagine going through the rubble of the house there and finding the thumb still stuck to the windowsill like a burned sausage sticks to a pan? <laughs> okay. oh, that's an interesting –
1: That's an interesting simile there.
2: Visual, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but that was, that was happening, of course, in the heat of the summer.
1: Yeah.
2: Now, some of the other stories that you may not have realized occurred during the summer. Uh, man with the twisted lip. You know, there there was uh, Neville Sinclair for days in uh, in captivity there at uh, at the Bow Street Police Station, not showering. <laughs> right? It was it was Holmes to the rescue with the water and the sponge. Right. Uh, and you have to imagine, after a few summer days in a jail cell, that uh, Sinclair must have been. Overly eager to receive that sponge and water. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and cleanse himself.
1: Uh. Well, the cr- and then, and then I remember, you know, obviously his last bow has that opening in which, uh. Oh, we're, we're sure. told it takes place in the most terrible August.
2: Yeah, August of 1914. And, uh, and oh, you know, I didn't realize this either. Uh, the six Napoleons. Took place in July or August of uh, nineteen hundred, mm. by most chronologists' assessment. And uh, you know, I think again to uh, the blood on Horace Harker's doorstep, and how it had to be swilled down with buckets of water. And again, how um, uh, unsavory that must have been in the in the summer air in London.
1: Mm. You know, it's funny, though, that other than cardboard box, which you rightly point out has a lot of color painted around the temperature in Baker Street, there isn't much action or event that happens in the stories that is directly influenced by weather, Uh, which is odd, particularly considering Conan Doyle was such an outdoors kind of a guy, you know, he's always... playing cricket, riding his bicycle in the, in the winter on skis. Yeah. Yeah. Holmes and Watson never go to a cricket match.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That would have been funny.
1: It's, it would have been funny. It's actually, it's probably good because they would just be sitting there with a picnic hamper for an hour and a half. Well, for a day and a half and avoiding anything going on in Baker street, unless somebody had been murdered on the pitch, that would have been something.
2: Well, and, and to, to further matters in the cardboard box, um, part of the plot of how Jim Browner was able to, uh, pull off the murder, uh, it, it also involved the weather because you recall his wife and her beloved were out in a rowboat, and he approached them unseen through the mist and was able to, uh, to sneak up on them that way. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't, I don't recall if it was Mr. Fog. Was it, uh. Maybe it was fog. It was just as if they had been given into my hands. It was a bit of haze and you could not see more than a few hundred yards. Mm. I hired a boat for myself and I pulled after them. I could see the blur of their craft. The haze was like a curtain all around us. And there we, there were we three in the middle of it. So kind of that, that humid and hazy weather
1: mm.
2: adding to, uh, Browner's ability to get away with murder, and of course, uh, when he sent the ears preserved in salt, which would have helped in the warm weather, I certainly didn't send them on ice, <laughs> but I do remember that paget drawing of Holmes with uh, the 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 plank across his knees, Watson on one side, and um, I think it was Lestrade on the other, and there Holmes is wearing a boater oh, and I well, think the- the only instance that we have of sherlock holmes wearing a straw boater. Hmm. So again adding to that that summertime flair. Well, lots of of stories to explore in the summer. Why don't you make a reading list, your summertime reading list of all of the stories that took place in the summer. We will add all of these titles. We're not going to go over them now, but we will add all these titles to the show notes. Hmm. And you can read through the stories that took place in the summer months in Baker Street.
1: 25% of the cannon should be very doable between now and Labor Day.
2: Not a labor at all.
1: Friends, the sun is a terrifying ball of fire only 150 million kilometers away. That's why, before you head to the beach, you need the new Sherlock Holmes brand swimming costume. Inspired by our Victorian ancestors, our black, knee-length wool dresses for women feature long black stockings and lace-up bathing slippers. For the men, a black-and-white knee-length cotton jersey with working buttons and an optional white linen fez. They're the only bathing costumes that deliver the three C's. Complete. Cosmic. Covering. Covering. Friends, don't be fooled by a puny bottle of sunscreen. Hide from deadly rays and radiation in style with the Sherlock Holmes brand swimming costume. Available at your local Sherlock Holmes brand retailer
2: today. Well, this is the first time we've had to sit down and record and reflect on... Our 100th episode um, and there was a lot of great feedback. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we saw the, the episode shared far and wide hmm. and lots of people came out of the woodwork to wish us well and to celebrate with us you know, because this was really a, a celebration of the totality of everything that our fans and our guests and our readers online uh, have contributed to the show and the site up until this time. Um and I, I think it was uh, it was really well received. I mean, even though it was, you know, we, we we mentioned what our longest show was up until then <laughs> on the show and and ironically that show became
1: the longest show
2: even longer, right? <laughs> so uh, it, it it clocked in at over 2 hours, but uh by gosh, mm-hmm. uh, you folks stayed with us and and you listened and and you had some great memories as well.
1: Yeah, we really appreciate that. And I was just last week at the Adventuresses of Sherlock Holmes with Susan Uh Rice and Mickey Fromkin. And a whole bunch of our pals were there. Michael Quigley had come up and Lindsay was there. And, um, oh, just a whole.
2: Lindsay uh, Fay from the Baker
1: Street Babes. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Oh, we just had a lovely chat. She is just, just the best. We got a lot of very, I got a lot of very positive feedback from that assemblage about, uh, the show, Chris Zordan and others. I mean, they made um, you know a lot of lot of very friendly and warm comments about the hundredth episode.
0: That's
2: great. Yeah, I, I, I was a little self conscious about moving into it because I thought, well, is is this too navel gazing? You know, is is it too meta? Um, but I think the the collective um, the, the collective memories that we shared and and the journey that we've had. Uh, is really a marvelous thing and and it I think it serves us well to stop and reflect every now and then rather than to just keep going through these motions
1: yeah, well, I do too, and nine years you know it's it's uh it's an it doesn't seem like nine years, it really just seems like about eight eight and a half to me. My mind rebels at stagnation, give me problems, give me work, give me the most abstruse cryptogram, the most intricate analysis. And I'm in my proper atmosphere. Then I can dispense with artificial stimulants. But I abhor the dull routine of existence. I crave mental exaltation.
2: Welcome to the I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere quiz program called Mental Exaltation. If you've ever listened to NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, you'll be familiar with our format. But just in case you haven't, Here's how it works. Each episode, we post a qualifying question on our website, ihearofsherlock.com. And of all of the correct answers submitted, we select one individual at random to become the contestant on mental exaltation. And this time around, our contestant is Eric Deckers from Orlando, Florida. Eric, welcome to the program.
4: Well Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
2: Well, how long have you been a Sherlockian, or, or have you at least been interested in Sherlock Holmes?
4: I have I've been interested in Sherlock Holmes ever since I was a kid, and we had to read one of the stories in the sixth grade. Oh. But I've not been an avid Sherlockian the way you and Bert are until, basically until I met you once and started listening to your podcast <laughs> and realized there's a whole world of people who are, you know, Obsessed with Sherlock Holmes and, and I've had fun exploring that whole world. So about two years.
2: That's great. So do you remember still what that sixth grade story was?
4: Um, I don't. That's been many years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it. I want to, oh gosh. And, and so, you know, here I am on the quiz show. I can't remember the name of the story. It was the one where Holmes had to play being sick, uh, because he had been given a box that had a poison dart or needle in it. the dying detective the die that's the one and, wow. uh, and I read that when I was 11
2: that's an odd one just a was, was it a school assignment or, or you just picked up the book or what how?
4: it was in a literature book our our English book and I was in the advanced reading group and oh. that was the story that they had in there and I, I thought who are these people that you know yeah. I've heard of Sherlock Holmes on TV but I didn't know there were stories about him
2: well that's not a very popular story to insert into you know kind of a, 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 a an English textbook introducing children to Sherlock Holmes. Usually you'll see you know like the Red-Headed League or A Scandal in Bohemia or A Speckled the, the Speckled Band, something along the lines of one of the more uh, shall we say mainstream stories. Uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of off the beaten path.
4: I but I, I also remember that it it made me realize there's more out there, you know, I, I got the sense that I had sort of picked up uh, a book in a long string of adventures.
2: Hmm. Very cool. Well, I'm glad it led you down the path and I'm glad our paths eventually crossed. I remember I was in Logan Airport one time, I think. Mm hmm. So, you never know. You never know. So, we are here to play Mental Exaltation, our quiz program. Uh, I need to ask you, Uh, If you are ready and all warmed up. I am. Okay. Well, seeing that you're in Florida, you don't really have a choice but to be all warmed up. And the good news is all three of our questions relate to summer in the canon, which is the topic of our show this episode. Shall
3: the examination proceed? Yes, let it proceed by all means.
2: So here we go. Question one. In what case does Watson experience a shock during the summer? Is it A, in the Greek interpreter when Holmes astonishes Watson by disclosing the existence of his brother Mycroft one day after tea on a summer evening? Is it B, in Charles Augustus Milverton when Holmes announces that his sister is planning to marry a plumber at the end of the summer? Or C, in The Engineer's Thumb, when Victor Hatherley, a hydraulic engineer, mistakes his severed thumb for a summer sausage and accidentally eats it.
4: <laughs> I don't know how many times I've done C, but, but I'm going to have to go brilliant. with... Oh, sure. I just, if I had a dollar for every time, I'd have two dollars. <laughs> but I will go with A. That is correct. That is correct. That is
2: when... Watson was absolutely astounded to discover that Holmes, in fact, had a brother, uh, let alone had a living brother in London, uh, less than a couple of miles away. So, very well done. The second question, uh, not too dissimilar from Florida, one characteristic in English summer is rain. According to Wikipedia, there are 2.5 inches of rain each month in the average English summer. So in which story does Watson make a point of commenting upon an umbrella? Is it A, in The Hound of the Baskervilles, when Holmes and Watson form impressions of Dr. Mortimer from the umbrella and galoshes he leaves behind in Baker Street? Is it B, in The Priory School, when the Duke of Holderness clasps his hands tightly over the ivory head of his umbrella, launching into an impromptu version of Singing in the Rain? Or is it C in the five orange pips when John Openshaw arrives in Baker Street with a long shining waterproof and a streaming umbrella, which tells of the fierce weather through which he had come?
4: I'm going to hazard a guess that it's not B, <laughs> but that still leaves me with A and C. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm guessing because you are a, it seemed to be a bigger fan of the Hound of Baskervilles that it is A.
2: No, it is actually C. It is C. John Openshaw had to battle his way through the storm coming from uh, Waterloo Station. In the Hound of the Baskervilles, Holmes and Watson formed an impression of Doctor Mortimer based on the walking stick that he left behind, that his dog had left teeth marks in. Ah. Uh. So, well, you're okay. You're you're uh, you're one in one. That means we're right down to the wire here with uh with number 3 so this is your opportunity to uh to to do well to win a prize from the great big ihos grab bag of gifts ihos gbgb uh so no, there's no pressure no pressure at all in the movie the adventures of sherlock holmes basil rathbone's disguised sherlock holmes sang of being beside the seaside but in the canon holmes and watson never seem to enjoy the seashore. However, which one of their cases begins on the beach? Is it A, in the blue carbuncle, when Watson interrupts Holmes contemplating a straw beach hat? B, in Black Peter, when Holmes investigates the murder of Captain Peter Carey, who is killed in his ship's cabin and left like a beached whale? Or C, C, in The Lion's Mane, when Holmes meets Harold Stackhurst while walking along the cliff path with a steep descent to
4: the beach. I was even going to read The Blue Carbuncle uh, this morning and ran out of time. <laughs> I could have told you with certainty which that was. Well, you know so the time
2: of the year The Blue Carbuncle took place.
4: I do not. That was the Christmas story, right? Oh, that's right. Okay, so... So I'm going to hazard another wild guess that it is C. You would be correct. Oh okay. good.
2: That is when, of course, Holmes came in touch with the lion's mane jellyfish there down in the uh, in the beach uh, uh, on the Sussex seaside. So, well done, sir. <laughs>
4: it was complete and utter luck on my part. <laughs>
2: Well, so much of life and so much of the Sherlockian movement is. So, uh, pleased that you were part of this and uh, we will get your gift off to you post haste.
4: Thank you very much and, uh, and I'm going to start reading the canon again so I'm ready for next time.
2: I'm glad we could inspire. Only one thing. What is it again?
1: It means that it's time to wind up the gramophone.
2: <laughs> woo woo! Wind up your radio, <laughs> dementites and dementoids. No, of course that means it's time for the editor's gas lamp. And you know, try as we might to find a summer themed uh, a, a summer themed gas lamp, we were flummoxed. We were <laughs> we were stopped dead in our tracks, gobsmacked. Gobsmacked to find nary a mention of of warmer weather in in the entire string of baker of the Baker Street Journal, mm. at least the EBSJ. Mm. So, uh, we are turning to another source entirely, and this is, of course, the Sherlock Holmes Prayer mm. by Christopher Morley, which was first given at the Baker Street Irregulars' uh, special dinner in. 1944. The March 31st, 1944 dinner, where uh, three publications were brought to light, and in the introduction of of the prayer, uh, Edgar Smith in a Baker Street four wheeler says, "This orison was composed by the Gasogene and Tantalus for delivery at the dinner given to the Baker Street Irregulars at the Murray Hill Hotel in New York on March 31st, 1944." in celebration of the publication that day of three new books about Sherlock Holmes. It has heretofore appeared in print only in the form of a folder distributed on the occasion to enlighten the lay brethren present and to facilitate the antiphonal responses. And by the way, those four, those three books were Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, a textbook of friendship edited by Christopher Morley, The Misadventures of Sherlock Holmes edited by Ellery Queen, And Profile by Gaslight, an irregular reader about The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, edited by Edgar Smith. And now, here to read that poem is Christopher Morley himself. Ah.
1: Grant me, O spirit of reason, matter for deduction, intuition, and analysis. Plenty of three-pipe problems that I may avoid the cowardice of 7% cocaine, or at least substitute something a little special in white wines. Give me newspapers, telegrams, and the grind of carriage wheels against the curb, the meditative breakfast at morning, the unexpected client in the night time, and occasionally the alerting word, grotesque. Strengthen me, not to astonish the good Watson merely for theatrical pleasure, yet always to be impatient of unmitigated bleat, and of guessing, which rots the logical faculty. If... In hours of duress, neither the Turkish bath nor medieval charters nor my scrapbooks nor my fiddle avail to soothe turn my attention to the infallible reactions of chemistry or to that rational and edifying insect, the bee. Remind me that there is a season of forgiveness for misfortune, but never for the incredible imbecility of bunglers from Lecoq to Lestrade. In all the joys of action, let me not forget the intellectual achievements of lethargy, to wit, Mycroft, and, slightly less to wit, Moriarty. Burden me not with unrelated facts, but encourage the habit of synthetic observation, collating the distinctions between the various. As the hand of the linotyper is to that of the cork-cutter, so are the types of the morning mercury to those of the Yorkshire Post." Remember, O spirit, to segregate the queen. Viz, the fair sex is Watson's department. For me, the mind is all. But one confession in remembrance. The pistol-shot initials on the sitting-room wall were not what Watson thought. In the name of that gracious lady, my favorite letters were the last two. I was writing not V.R., but I.A. The Baker Street Underground shook my aim. Hold fast the doctrine when all impossibles are eliminated. Whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Then, O Spirit, be the game afoot.
2: Amen. Amen, I say. Uh, that's. Uh, I don't. I don't think that prayer is uh, resuscitated nearly enough.
1: No boy, I haven't heard that in a long time.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's worthwhile. Lots of great stuff from Morley's pen over the years. Oh boy, really, just a masterful writer. I mean, we give a lot of due due credence to Smith and his editorials and and his writing in the Baker Street Journal, but boy, oh boy, you you, you just can't beat some good Morley.
1: No, you can't, and if. Um You can find a copy. This appears in other places, but it's also in the standard, as Scott mentioned, but it's also in the standard Doyle Company, Christopher Morley on Sherlock Holmes, which was edited by Stephen Rothman and published by the Fordham University Press as long ago as 1990.
2: Yeah. I think you can still find copies on ABE Books and eBay and places like that. Hmm. It's summertime, and they say the living is easy. Whether you're inside your study, lounging on a beach chair, or perhaps just watching the sunset from your porch swing with a glass of ice-cold lemonade in your hand, we live in a time when you can enjoy the summer issue of the Baker Street Journal. Just arrived from the publishers, the summer 2016 issue is frighteningly good, beginning with the cover. But have no fear. There's more to the BSJ than the cover. Inside, Jamie Mahoney looks at estrangement in the canon, while Nick dunn meynell wonders if Holmes was part of a cover-up in the Abbey Grange. Catherine Cook takes us on a journey through illustrated versions of The Hound of the Baskervilles. And since it's baseball season, Mark Alberstadt writes about Conan Doyle and baseball. What does baseball have to do with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Well, you'll have to subscribe to find out. Cartoons, stories from collectors, travelogues, a list of books and publications you'll want to check out. These and more are all part of the regular updates you can expect to see in the Baker Street Journal. The days are getting shorter as the summer comes to an abrupt end. We long for the leisurely evenings after dinner when we can still take a stroll in the evening light, whether it's along a beach, near a lake, through a meadow, just around our own little neighborhood. It's a reflective time when we lament the things we meant to do or long for the things we'd do again before the autumn sets in. When such a reflective mood strikes us, perhaps it's the perfect time to ask, Why haven't I subscribed to the Baker Street Journal yet? Yes, why haven't you? Head over to BakerStreetJournal.com and correct that with a subscription today. Well, if you'd uh, if you'd like to give us any feedback about the show, if you'd like to get in touch with us, get on over to iHearOfSherlock.com, leave a comment on co slash iHose 102 which is the URL for this show. Of course, you can reach us there also by clicking on the email button, hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Tumblr, mm-hmm. and all Usual places. That telephone thing still works. Oh boy! If you just punch out the numbers <laughs> on that little slab of silicone in your in an aluminum in your hand, it's seven three four two two one. Reed. That's seven three four two two one seven three two three. If you leave us a voicemail, we may we may play.
1: We will. We will. We love to hear your voice. Well,
2: we just have to get the voicemails first. Yeah we we'll play it on the show.
1: Hey, what is, you know, we never we, it's been a long time since we've mentioned this, but what is our our CB radio frequency?
2: Uh, ihose. <laughs> <laughs> ihose 103.8. Oh good, on your on your CB Eggers. dial. Yes. Oh. Uh, I hose is our handle, Rubber Ducky. <laughs> There, there actually was, at one point, uh, a group started by Ron Fish for Sherlockian ham radio operators, believe it or not. Oh. Uh, evidently inspired by the pig that was harpooned by Sherlock Holmes in, the, in Black Peter, bringing it full circle back to the summer. Oh. But anyway, if you would like to support the show in any way, like the incomparable Mary Miller. Mary Miller,
1: Miller, Miller, Miller.
2: Get on over to patreon.com slash iHearOfSherlock, or just hit that Become a Patron button on our homepage, and show your support for iHearOfSherlock everywhere by giving whatever you can per episode. What is this show worth to you? Hmm. I think we've all seen exactly what it's worth <laughs> to you,
1: thank you very much. It's but 102. Maybe, it's at least worth 102 pennies.
2: Maybe what it's worth to Bert and I. Maybe you could you could afford that. <laughs> Uh, Well, whatever's in your heart, whatever's in your checkbook, just empty it all out onto
1: us. Yes, and you better hurry up or we're going to sick John Raby on you.
2: Well, in the meantime, while we sweat it out for the rest of the summer, I am Scott Monty. Yes,
1: you are Scott Monty. I knew that. Yeah. And I'm Bert Wolder. How
2: about that? How does that
1: work? It's amazing, isn't it? We
2: keep doing that.
1: And all of that, despite string theory and parallel universes and the Large Hadron Collider, I can't figure it out. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, we'll keep doing that and we'll keep being who we are. And until next time, yeah. we bid you. Yes. The, the
1: Games of Foot! foot! You know, I'm afraid that in the pleasure of this
2: conversation, I am
1: neglecting business of importance
2: which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes.
1: Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be, my dear fellow, very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes.
2: That's interesting. Evidently, in uh, 1957, the St. Detective magazine ran a piece by uh, J.D. Corrington called Baker Street Weather. Oh, really? A pleasant rambling commentary on the predominant meteorological aspects of the saga.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?